This podcast may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. Keep in mind that what you hear on Cold Truth, it is subjective. It is based on the perceptions of myself, the interviewees, and what is available to us, the public. We are not law enforcement. We are not prosecutors or judges. They are the ones, the only ones, that are tasked with the responsibility of serving out justice. My goal is to tell these stories to the best of my abilities and to gather as many facts backed up by documentation as I can. And if I cannot, and it is speculation or a scenario that I am discussing, you will know it. We were at home getting ready for bed, and my mom hollered downstairs to my husband and I to come upstairs now. In the tone of her voice, I knew something was wrong, and I rounded the corner to her living room, and there were two Topeka County sheriff's deputies standing there and my first comment to them was what did she do now and they said well we need you to sit down and that's when I knew they were going to tell me she was gone um they told me that there was a body found in Newton County on Saturday the 30th and they identified that body through her fingerprints um that's how we found out Nicole was gone And then when I called, I think I called the coroner's office first because that gentleman needed to talk to me. And that's when we found out, I found out she was murdered and everything just kind of stopped. I, I, it was crazy. So we found out April 1st of 2019 that Nicole was murdered. So the following day, they they came back and talked to you? No, the coroner that night on April 1st told me that. Well, I talked to Detective Rowe after that. And Detective Rowe Mm -hmm. had told me that they had a suspect in custody, um, but they weren't charging him with that yet. They had enough to hold him. That's how we knew all of that. What did you feel in that very first moment? Broken. How am I going to tell her two boys? Well... Riley's too young, but how am I going to tell Corbin, her eight-year-old, that his mom was dead and let alone murdered? How can I, how can I tell this kid and try to be strong when all I want to do is lay down in a ball and, and, and curl up in a ball and just cry? It's a feeling that, I mean, I know Dottie knows how I feel, but unless you, unless you experience it, it's just hard to explain. Your world just changes in a blink of an eye. It splits. Did they tell you everything in the beginning that you now know one year later? No, there, you know, and, and for me in my situation, you know, they had everybody, the five involved within 15 days. Of course, they're not going to tell us everything because it's an ongoing investigation. I totally understand that. In the beginning, didn't tell us a lot of the details. I think we started finding, well, he did, I guess the coroner did tell me that she was duct taped. Her hands and feet were duct taped. She had duct tape across her mouth. She had a scarf and an extension cord around her neck. And then they had a plastic bag over her head and they had wrapped her in a tarp and when they said that torture, because on the news they were talking about torture, she was tortured and murdered. And the only thing that mm-hmm. she, the prosecutor, she was strangled and she was bound. And that's what he is calling torture because she could not fight back. So because yeah. when I was, when you think of torture, 
you think of cutting and burning with cigarette and beating and, and everything. And, and none of that happened with Nicole. Where were you when you found out that she had been murdered? Did you know right away or did it take a few days? No, it didn't take a couple days. I was actually in bed that night and uh, Cheryl called me up on the phone and told me that cops had uh, identified Nicole as being the person that they found in Kentland. Because I had heard something about a person missing that was found in Kentland. On the news? Or... Yeah, it was on the news, but earlier that morning, but I didn't hear anything back about it they must have got a hold of Cheryl in between yeah I know it wasn't until 9 30 or probably sometime like that when when um Cheryl called me I come flying up out of bed I don't know it, it put me on the floor that's for sure I just talked to her Thursday and then she didn't come here after she told me she would Funeral? Do you remember anything suspicious at her funeral? Was law enforcement there? Were they watching? What day was her funeral again? Buried her April the 5th. Well, they had called Cheryl during the funeral and told her. Well, she didn't answer the phone during the funeral, but she listened to it after the funeral itself before we went out. And I guess they had called her and told her that they had Garrett and somebody else. If you have not listened to the previous episodes, please do so before listening to this one, as you will be very confused. We just heard the rest of the timeline from Nicole's family up to her funeral. Jasmine Parker was arrested on Tuesday, April 2nd. Ashley Garth was arrested on Wednesday, April 3rd. It must have been after 2.10 p.m., which is when she posted about needing some good in her life. After all she's been through and all. And I am guessing this is not what she had in mind, getting arrested. Anyways, Garrett Kurtz, although arrested on Monday, April 1st, he was not formally charged until Friday, April 5th. During that press release on April 5th, they put out a bolo for Mathis. Christopher Mathis was arrested on Monday, April 8th. Talitha Beckley's bolo went out on Tuesday, April 9th, and she was arrested on Friday, April 12th. Now that you have that very anal timeline from the last two episodes and this one so far, where the hell do we go from here? Their charges. Garrett Kurtz was arrested on Monday, April 1st in Jasper County, and in a press release, the Rensselaer Police Department said that they had been told that Garrett was headed their way. So they set up a sting with the Jasper County and Newton County Sheriff's Department and the investigators from the Newton County Prosecutor's Office. Now, let's just pause right here and mention that the papers reported that none of the five had been arrested yet. So, who or how did this tip come about? Back to the point. They blocked off the entrance once Garrett had driven behind an abandoned building. It was formerly known as Grandma's Kitchen. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Rensselaer area. Once the dumbass saw them, he tried to outrun them in Nicole's car. We have heard he was there trying to sell it. Sound familiar? Probably so, because he did the same thing with Ray's, or so we surmise from what his family has been told. This is why I 
feel that the person who was buying the car from Garrett called the police and helped them catch him. None of that is confirmed. It's just my guess. But the ones that were involved were not in custody as of yet. So it couldn't be them. So who was it? Anyways, they chased him around the parking lot until he rammed through a fence and got her car stuck in a cornfield. There's actually a picture of it if you would like to check it out. He was arrested for resisting law enforcement. Sometime between the 1st and the 5th, he was taken to the Newton County Jail where he will remain until sentencing. He wasn't given bond. He was formally charged with murder, intentional killing of another, on Friday, April 5th, at the same time Nicole was being laid to rest. In his original statements released and reported by Dave Banger, who I just want to pause and thank for his coverage on both cases, he is the only media that the Hainish family have for what happened to Ray. There's one singular article. One. But at least it is a very good one. Anyways, we're back to Garrett. Quote, he told police he drove Bowen to Jasmine Parker's trailer on Newton County Road 1400 South. Now, Jasmine, it's her trailer and she claims that she was hiding in the bathroom and thought it was just a normal girl fight. So she did nothing and continued to do nothing when she saw a dead woman in her home. Well, wait, she did post on Facebook, once us brown-eyed bitches step in, it's over for you blue-eyed hoes. She posted that on March 29th. Guess who had blue eyes? Nicole. But it doesn't matter. Jasmine, in her not-so-jazzy orange jumpsuit that she couldn't even button up because she was so big with her bad self... She took a plea for assisting a criminal on October 7th of 2019, telling the judge when he asked her why she didn't do anything, she said she didn't want to get in trouble. I guess he believed her, even though he could have sentenced her to up to six years under the law. They went with the minimum of one year with the habitual offender status added on, bringing her grand total for what I believe were bold-faced lies to a five-year prison sentence. What a joke. Okay, now back to the unfortunate events of Garrett Kurtz, who I'm going to start calling Jerkit. The night of March 29th, he told police he knew Garth was going to be there and that he planned to pit them in a fight together to, quote, hash it out or fight it out, end quote. He told the detective that, quote, during the course of the fight, he grabbed Nicole from behind and placed his right arm around her neck and applied pressure for several minutes, causing her to collapse and go unconscious. Let's rewind. He applied pressure until she became unconscious. On January 20th of 2019, he strangled Ashley as well. And I'm going to read some of that article from Dave. 
Kurtz also faces an unresolved case in Carroll County from 2019. There, he was charged with strangulation, accused of ambushing Garth and choking her until she passed out several times on January 20th at her home near Delphi. According to court documents in the probable cause affidavit filed with the charges, Garth told police that Kurtz told her that he was not kidding about killing her, referencing earlier messages he had sent her. The court documents also say Kurtz denied Garth's version of the story, telling police that he'd been defending himself when she got mad and attacked him when he tried to borrow her cell phone. When he tried to borrow her cell phone. And by the way, and what I'm about to say is just my opinion here, but it seems to me she may be trying to go with the battered girlfriend defense, which is a thing, and there are cases that that is a viable defense, but not with this girl. I think this will bite her in the ass if she does try it at trial. She was not afraid of Garrett that night that they killed Nicole in the least. You will hear for yourself in just a second. Now, back from my rabbit trail yet again. Garrett said it himself. He did not want Nicole to wake up. So he proceeded with the help of Ashley, who we will be calling Ashes. So, you know what? I'm just going to go with the rabbit trails. Side note, we didn't find out about her being a murderess till December 18th of 2019 when the DNA came back and she was indicted on murder. Conspiracy to commit murder. In between this time, she was only charged with assisting a criminal. Her and her lawyer sure did try to get her plea accepted before then, though. Twice, as a matter of fact. The last one I was present for. The prosecutor stood up and said, Your Honor, that plea is contingent upon the DNA, and once that comes back, more than likely, I will be charging her with murder. He was pretty fed up by this point because he had already had to go before the judge and stop this attempt to advance the hearing. Advance means, like, let's hurry up and and get it done. And by the time she tried to do it the second time, he was pretty fed up. The look on Ash's face was priceless, guys. First, she looked shocked that she was not going to get her way, which seems to be a running theme in her life as a whole, of her getting her way, so she's not used to it when someone doesn't do what she wants or believe her, God forbid. And then, once the judge uh, ruled in favor of the state, the deer in headlights of, oh, no. Like, she knew that it was over. She knew that her DNA was going to be found all over the item, all of the items that they used on poor Nicole. And that is exactly what happened. Back to jerk it. I guess I just really don't want to talk about him or something, but let's try to finish what Garrett had to say. The document went into detail, quote, Kurtz did not want Nicole to wake up, so he tied a scarf around her neck tightly. Kurtz stated a brown extension cord, approximately six to seven feet in length, was also tied tightly around Nicole's neck. The cord was tied tightly enough around Nicole's neck, causing the cord end to break. The court documents from April says that Kurtz used tape found in the home to cover Bowen's mouth and bind her feet and her hands 
The police account says he used a plastic bag from under the kitchen sink to cover her head. The document said Kurtz wrapped Bowen in a blanket from an unfinished addition to the mobile home trailer and then wrapped that with tape. Kurtz told police he backed the Skyon car he drove to the trailer home and loaded Bowen's body into the trunk before scouting out a spot near Newton County Road 1275 East and Newton County Road 600 West. A property owner found Bowen's body the following afternoon. He says he strangled her till she was unconscious, not dead. So here's a guy that knows how to strangle to the point of unconsciousness without death occurring, yet Ray's strangulation was an accident. Get the fork out. Not buying it. And I do not understand why prosecutor Robert Guy is buying it either. I mean, why is he believing this kid? Y'all heard his criminal history. It's not like Garrett was a stranger to him. He's prosecuted him in the past. Plus, the big lie about Ashes and Nicole just hashing it out. Or at the very worst, fighting it out. Plus, plus the fact that he threatened to kill her on Facebook. Just days before he did kill her with the help of Ashes and the other ones is what I believe. But now we do know that that's not what happened at all. Now is it? Here's what Dave Banger with JC Online reported after the affidavit was released in December when Ashes was indicted for murder. In the new documents filed with Kurt's murder charge, police say they asked Kurt if he'd done this by himself. He replied, quote, no, according to the court documents. According to the court documents, Kurtz told the detective that Garth initiated the fight. Garth, who considered Bowen, quote, a rival and an enemy because she was the other woman in Kurt's life. He said Garth had her arm around Bowen's neck for a minute until he could get his arm around Nicole's neck. That was all quotes. Police reported that Kurtz told them that Garth handed him the scarf, though he put it around Bowen's neck and tied a knot in the extension cord she unplugged from a TV and the wall. Before she handed it to him, she said, quote, I know you are going to need this. Kurtz also told police that Garth helped him tape Nicole's body up. According to court documents, the prosecutor contends Garth's DNA was found under Bowen's fingernails on the scarf found around Bowen's neck and on the cardboard tube from the tape found on Bowen. Garth faces maximum sentence of 65 years and 40 years in prison, respectively, for murder and conspiracy to commit murder, end quote. Y'all really expect us to believe that these two star-crossed lovers brutally and torturally murdered Nicole over a love spat? Get out of here with that. And I will never believe that Jazzy hid in the bathroom or whatever lame excuse Talitha gives at her sentencing. Now, with Talitha, we don't know much about her role in the murder plot, only that she was there. She is charged with assisting a criminal, but the criminal assisted committed murder. I wonder if they will believe whatever bullshit she comes up with this time. I mean, she can't say that she was taking a pee like she did before because she would have been peeing on Jazzy in there. Not sure 
about old Christopher Mathis. He was just the guy they called to get rid of Nicole. It really doesn't make sense, but that's what we have. Why did they pull him into this mess that day? He didn't live far from Jazzy at all. I really don't think that he was a, quote, ride or die, which Garrett loved to name on his Facebook. And Chrissy was not mentioned once. So why did he pick up the phone? He didn't live far from Jazzy at all. And I really think Jazzy or Tathugla was the reason he helped. Big mistake. You just don't see a guy that was not a ride or die. So why did he pick up the phone? Well, I think you know my guess. He is charged with assisting a criminal, but the criminal assisted committed murder, along with false informing. So we shouldn't believe anything that he says either. (laughs) I guess the prosecutors in White County and Newton County have not read the fable in the Bible about the little boy who cried wolf. One too many times. And then when he was finally telling the truth, nobody believed him. Because they appear to be believing them all. Still, remember the article about Ray? The suspects in Nicole's case are cooperating in the investigation of Ray. But I'll stop because we are not there yet. Y'all heard what they did to Nicole. You've heard what her family had to say, what she said on her Facebook, and my opinions on the matter. What do y'all think? What was the motive? Was this just some kind of drug-fueled love spat gone wrong? Or was this a premeditated murder to get rid of a witness? Why is Ashes the only one charged with conspiracy to commit premeditated murder? So much doesn't make sense yet, but hopefully one day it will. And don't forget what Nicole's mom and aunt said. While no one believes that anyone else killed Ray but Jerkit, we have heard that the state police wanted to talk to Nicole and that they were told that she was at Ray's. Remember the timing of this. Does it fit with their timelines on Facebook? Led us to believe? Did Nicole know what he did to Ray and that's why she was scared? And texting her sister on the 25th, which was the same day Jerk It threatened her life on Facebook. Just more questions for now. With some answers coming at their trials or sentencing dates. Which are coming this summer, hopefully. I really do hope that they do not give any pleas. They have already tried to give Garrett Kurtz a plea of 45 years, which is the minimum that you can receive for murder in the state of Indiana anyways. 45 to death is the sentence for murder. And that's depending on the circumstances, the mitigating, the aggravating circumstances of said murder. But 45 to death. The the minimum sentence that is, is even suggested is around 55 years. So yeah, I was really happy when the prosecutor, so Garrett balked, him and his lawyer balked at the 45 years. Like, really? Glad they did though, because that must have pissed the prosecutor off and he pulled that. He said, no, done with that. Let's just go to trial. So it's looking like there will be a trial for Jerkit Kurtz. 
and I really hope they get the maximum sentence. They sure do deserve it. I've seen these assholes in court multiple times. They are not on drugs now. It is blatantly obvious by their skin being so clear and the massive amount of weight that they have gained in prison. I don't think the food is that good. Yet, they still show no mercy. Zero. They are arrogant and shameless. This is why I will never believe that it was, quote, just the drugs. These are not good people, point blank period. We are safer with them behind bars. There is no ifs, ands, buts about it. I've been doing a little bit of reading on the psychology of strangulation in domestic violence as well as murder. It seems in both it is a symbol of power and control by the perpetrator that they have over their victims. Dominance. They have them literally right where they want them, controlling whether they live or die. It is sadistic. These crimes are so similar in nature. You have Ray being killed by asphyxia due to ligature strangulation. I did some reading on BDSM and asphyxia, like the erotica asphyxia type things. And usually along with BDSM, I mean, it's right there, it's it's bondage. And we do know that he was strangled by a ligature. And then we move over to Nicole who was strangled by him, you know, and he kind of shoots himself in the foot there because he's like, well, I just, I made her pass out, but then we didn't want her to wake up. So he's showing that he knows how to take a victim to the point of unconsciousness without killing them, which begs the question if back in January when he strangled Ashley several times, until she would pass out and then gain consciousness. I don't know how any, I don't know any other way to read that if she's telling the truth. If she is telling the truth, he strangled her to unconsciousness without killing her several times. He gets off on this. That's what he enjoys. He's a sadistic monster. But anyways, you're going to tell me that he in the middle of at least these two that are confirmed, you're going to tell me race was just an accident after you've seen and heard testimony of what he did to Ashes, have read the affidavit and understand the case and the autopsy of Nicole Bowen and what he did to her, yet in the middle of these two, January and March 29th, on March 13th, that one was just an accident. That just, it blows my mind, blows my mind that that is viewed as an accident when the other two were not. Why didn't you believe him when he said that uh, back in January? Why was that not an accident? Last I look, when you, when you strangle somebody, that's a fel, that's felonous. It's a felonous act, especially without their consent and warning for the families. You might not want to hear this.
the first things that a person feels when they are deprived of oxygen and their brain is becoming hypoxic is sheer terror and pain. They do go unconscious after a certain amount of time, but it literally takes between four and six minutes to strangle someone. Now, there's three different ways that someone can be strangled and be the cause of death. It's cutting off circulation from the carotid arteries, the jugular vein, or the throat, the airway, restricting the airway. A chokehold does restrict the carotid arteries and the jugular vein, but a ligature applies pressure evenly depending on where it is placed. It applies pressure evenly across the neck, meaning it does all of the above. Now, once they put the extension cord around Nicole's neck that broke, can you believe that? It's so nonsensical, guys. And I'm going to try to get an interview with a psychologist or someone that's at least studied psychology to really break down that. And I will release it as a bonus clip. And I do have someone that is willing to talk to me from the perspective of a social worker and as well as a former addict. So that would be exciting and that will also be be released as a bonus episode because I just want to hear, that's my jam. Like I love hearing about the psychology of things and understanding them from an in-depth level like that. Those will just be released as bonus features because they kind of apply to other cases that we will probably be covering on this podcast in the future and we will reference those just as in in general. And then I will also be releasing bonus episodes of more of the interviews that I've done with these families. They have been so gracious and kind to speak to me for hours. I'm just not that good at this yet. It's for one, well, it's it's like a double-edged sword because I'm way better at an interview than I am at just speaking into this damn microphone. But... I'm not good with audacity and editing the audio, especially when there's two people talking at the same time and knowing how to edit those to where they're not so long is hard. It's just all been hard, but hang in there. I'm going to get better at this. Hopefully one day I can hire someone that can help me. But I'm going to get it all figured out and just hang in there with me. And I'm sorry if you don't understand the way my brain works. Thank you for listening to Cold Truth. Again, I want to thank Taylor for the music. And if you all want to hire him, if you know anyone that is needing some background music or just music in general, shoot me an email coldtruthpodcast at gmail.com. Also, use that email if you have any tips about this case or any of the other ones that I will be podcasting about. Feel free. Y'all have a good one.
stop snitching signs that they'd right. been posting, and Jasmine had been sharing basically. I think that's all she did for like two all days straight. Day, yes. That's all she did was share that. But yes. at that time, we did not know about Ray. I remember talking to you about that. We didn't know about Ray, and we're like, well, but yet yep. she's they're sharing these three weeks ago, so it's probably unrelated. And then come September, we find out that oh no, you know he was involved in murdering someone else. At least Garrett was. Right. And the paper does say the people that were involved with Nicole's murder are cooperating with law enforcement in the investigation into Ray Hanish's death. So they must know something. Some of them had to have been there. It is unclear of whether it was the night of the 28th or the 29th. I will say that. Right. And I say that because three of the suspects, their charging date is on March 28th of 2019. Two of them are on March 29th. I would chalk that up to clerical error if it was on just one, but it's on three. That kind of makes me wonder if she was actually killed the day before, sometime in that night. Okay, right. The 28th is the day I talked to her, ain't it? Yes. That's what I thought. Yeah. And that was the night that I thought that she was going to come here. Their charging dates as the 28th. See, that's what I thought, too. Because that's what, the way I read it, that's why I felt so bad. I mean, terrible. I'm like, what the hell, you know? Why didn't she come here? She couldn't. Obviously, she couldn't have because they killed her. Yeah. You see what I mean? I do. It's got me all messed up. She could have just came here. She knew that, but somebody kept her from doing it. That's why I asked you about what her state of mind was, if you felt like maybe there was someone listening or she was in trouble, like major trouble and scared. Right. She finally finds somewhere to stay that isn't her car, yet she doesn't show up. Most people that are living out of their car and then they're offered a warm home to stay in, they're going to show up. Right. See, that was her car. According to Cheryl and them, that is her brand new car. You saw the shipping container that was where she was found. Yes. It was pretty isolated. There's fields. That's what's around the shipping container is a tree and some fields. There's a long kind of driveway, but it's just a barn back there. Well, I got to digging and I found the property owner on Beacon Uh and it's all public information anybody can find it and their home the people that own the property where the shipping container is that's a vacant land it's five minutes away from the land that she was found on so the property owner what brought him there Garrett said, I put her there because I knew she would be found. The paper says that there were some kind of equipment. Yes, equipment. And he knew she would be found. Well, if you put someone inside of something, there wasn't anything else inside of there. There's no way that they... When we saw, I mean, it was completely empty. And I mean, it's it's not somewhere that if you were going to leave your... Because you'll see them on job sites. They'll have a shipping container up there and they'll put them up on a crane or whatever and lock it. This didn't, it was completely, it was open, but it was deep. And he says that he put her in there because he knew she would be found. Well, I know a lot of construction workers and farmers or whatever, they're not looking. You just don't go to work looking for a body. No. How did he know she was going to be found? And the property owner is the one that the papers say found her. Not far from the trailer. No, it's only four miles. 4.2 miles to be exact. Yeah, I mean, they didn't put a lot of thought into it. And... (sighs) 
from what I can see, but we're not dealing with, like, really reasonable people. Right. We do know that he called Mathis. That's what their story is. And Mathis's family did, they're there trying to perpetuate his story, but they did tell Miss Dottie that Garrett kept calling him that day, and he was trying to ignore him because he did he was scared of him or whatever, and knew that whatever he wanted, he didn't want to be a part of it. They got a hold of him, and where he lived was kind of along that same road, so it seems plausible that he left Jasmine's with Nicole's body in the trunk of her own car, right. picked up Mathis, and then they went and found this place. So you're driving around, and I mean, there isn't really much on that road at all. It's right. farm fields. It's very open. It's not like there's trees or anything. No, it's wide open. So if you really wanted her to be found, then put her by the machine. Why would you put her inside of a shipping container? Yeah. You really wanted her to be found. There's just something off with that. I don't see him giving any forethought to her being found. I don't buy it. No. If he did say, you know, I knew she would be found, then how did you know that? How did you know when you put her inside of this deep shipping container? How did you know she was going to be found in there? Didn't look like anybody had been there and doesn't look like anybody's been in there since. I mean, the thing is dilapidated and gross. Right. Got weeds growing up in it. It's not usable to keep anything secure. No, you can't lock it. No, it doesn't even have it. The whole end's wide open. Yeah, I mean, it looks like, I'm trying to describe it. Yeah, it looks like what you would see if you, a train... You just right. took a train, you know, and that's basically what they are, is shipping containers. Took the doors off of it, and it just sat there. It has some kind of... They put a blind on top of the shipping container, basically. Like a window right. that they could get up inside of it and hunt. But inside of the shipping container, in order to get up into that, they have had, they would have had to have something to climb up in there at some point. But yet there was nothing in there at the time of the pictures anyways. Yeah, that sounds a little weird, though. Yeah, I mean, it didn't look like they had anything built unless you brought a chair and, like, climbed up in there. From the pictures i seen, there was no real way to even access the hunting blind because it was on top of the shipping container. So I don't care how tall you are, you would at least need to have a chair. You know, that does sound a little weird now that I'm thinking about it because what if he knew that guy... And maybe they went hunting there before. Yeah. Or maybe someone else tipped them off of where she was. And he's trying to cover his tracks and make himself look like the good guy. And he's like, oh, well, yeah, I knew she was going to be found. Right. That's why I did that. Yeah, duh. When that wasn't his doing at all, it was someone else. When he lived in Monticello, it was around Christmas time, right before Christmas. And it was right after had moved out and he was just heartbroken and depressed and down and for whatever reason these three people and where he met them I have no idea I don't know why I didn't ask these questions then but I didn't they had come over and he's got mom I met the most fantastic people he said they just come over and they uplift me and uh, he said come on they'd say come on let's get your house decorated for Christmas and he's like no I don't want to and he's yeah come on and so he said mom they got my tree out and decorated it and got my house decorated he said they even went out and bought me a tv and he was just so thinking that these were the best people in the world and he woke up one day and he heard whispering in the hallway and some something I don't he didn't say if it's something he heard or what but he said something just didn't hit right And he said I got up and I'm like what's going on and he said they all just kind of had that look on their face. He said, well, I don't know what's going on, but I think it's time you guys get out. 
Well, he had found out that they had taken his car somewhere. I mean, they'd come back, but they'd use his car. And he said, you don't use my car for nothing. So that same night, stopped at the gas station on the way to work, and he didn't have any money in his account. But mm-hmm. they had emptied emptied his bank account. And he says to the woman at the gas station, what am I going to do? I don't even have enough gas to get to work. I don't have a dime on me, and I don't have any money in the bank. She said, you know what? Write a check. Now, this is how much she trusted him. said, write a check. Well, he wasn't able to use his cell phone, could not get into it. So he came up to us. We went to the satellite place, and they're like, well, somebody has locked you out. And once you keep trying to get back in it, it locks it for another few days or something. Yeah. I don't know how he explained it. So anyway, it was locked out for a while. But come to find out, one of the guys had put himself as an authorized user on Ray's account, but the guy hadn't done anything. He hadn't bought any phones. He hadn't done anything with it. Ray had said that the guy was from Rensselaer. Now, see, that's Jasper County. Um, the one guy he knew was from Rensselaer, and I think he told me the others were from Monticello. The girl was from Monticello, at least. But again, no names. It seemed like Ashley was the girl's name, but I can't swear to that. For some reason, that name stuck in my head. Now, whether it's because I heard it later, but it seemed to me like the girl's name was Ashley, and there was the three of them. Anyway, they had stolen a lot of, even stole his clothes, because he he would buy name brand clothes, you know, and they had stolen his clothes. And so he had told the guy, he said, look, you give me back the money you took out of my account and the stuff you stole from me, and he said, "And, and be gone. And the guy said, if you mention this to anybody, I have friends, he said, and they'll never find your body. I'm like, Ray, didn't you report it? He said, Mom, I'm not afraid. I said, you should be, Ray. You're too trusting. He said, no, it's not worth reporting it. I said, it is. I said, he threatened your life. He said, no, they're gone, and I'm done with them. So I often wondered if those three is how this other two, you know, got to know, because I don't know who those other ones were. Unless it was Ashley. And that was in 18, like the year before. Seems to think that was a friend of one of the last roomies that Ray had. And that's how he met. Could have been involved with how he met the others. See, I don't know. I don't I haven't tied any of that together. Really has opened a lot of our eyes to things. And, you know, it's just a, it's a series of unfortunate events, really. Yeah, that's and, why uh, I named it that. I, I, yeah, but by me saying that, Ray did not deserve what Ray got. And I don't understand why somebody would have taken his life, whether it was accidental or not. I, I mean, I still feel irresponsible. You took the life of somebody. I mean, and it's just strange to me that if that's the story they're telling, why was it not, why didn't anybody call 911? Why wasn't anybody there to report it? I mean, why did it take days and his mom to be the one to send the cops over to his place to discover him? Exactly. I mean, there's, too, there's, there's just too many holes in the story. Do I buy the whole thing? No. And, and, and honestly, I don't think Ray, as far as I know, and what I know of Ray, I don't think Ray would have gotten himself involved in a sexual act require that. I mean, what Ray did behind closed doors was Ray's business. I mean, really. And he didn't really flaunt a lot of it because he had a level of respect. And, you know, quite honestly, it was none of our business. So it was, he was just like, we treated him like we treated each other. We we didn't want to overstep our boundaries. But sometimes Ray would kind of be like, well, I'm going to go meet this person. And he would have no... You know, no clue. And then Ray would tell us, oh, yeah, well, 
um, I've had my rent money stolen from me and blah, 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 because I met this person. And we'd be like, oh my gosh, Ray, 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 Ray. And I, I, I can't tell you the countless times that I lectured Ray saying, you're not going to find someone by looking in all the wrong places yeah. like that. And, um, but, you know, I mean, it, it, you're, you're right. He was a gay man who was living in, in, in Indiana. There aren't many options. There, you know, the gay bars that, that were open up here have been closed down and out of business for years. Mm-hmm. So where was he to go? He to go. What was he to do? I mean, yeah. he, he did have limited resources as to where he could meet people, you know, so, mm-hmm. and he thought that he could do it. And honestly, like I said, I would have never have imagined that this is how it would have ended. I mean, honestly, I would have never thought in a million years. Did you know him to be on Grind or Adam for Adam? Do you remember? I knew him to be on Grinder. Adam for Adam, I don't remember him ever saying anything about that or or any other. Just Grinder is the only one I know who had said something about. Ray would talk about, oh, I missed somebody, and, and this could be the one, and da-da-da-da-da, you know? And mm-hmm. none of that was... He never mentioned that at all with him at all. So that's another reason why I find it hard to believe that Ray would agree to engage in anything because Ray, I, you know, Ray was, Ray was a a helpless romantic. I mean, honestly, that's what he was. And Mm. Ray would go out on a date with somebody and he would be like, this is the one. I just know it. And, you know, I would always be like, oh, Lord, help me. This boy's giving me gray mm-hmm. hair because, you know, he keeps yeah. falling in love with everybody. And he never once, like, did that with Garrett at all, at yeah. all. So that's why I find it very hard to believe that Ray agreed to engage in anything with that. Because uh, if Ray had any interest romantically to toward anybody, mm-hmm. he would always tell us. Always. And the injustices should only be that he was murdered at the hands of someone else and not his sexual preference or his character. You know, that shouldn't have anything to do with it yet. Yet we cannot deny the fact that it does. And that is what I want to change. You see it all the time. People are awful. Justice for all, not some understand the psyche of that you want to understand it you want to distance yourself from it well it won't affect me if i'm not doing drugs or if i'm not doing a b c or d so they lash out and they blame victims but it happens all the time and it's happened with ray it's happened to his family it is an unfortunate downside to being murdered in america even abby and libby to Little girls murdered. And you would not yeah. believe how many people blame their parents, blame them. Well, what were they doing? It was their fault. It's like sometimes yeah. it's a series of unfortunate events that nothing in your life, no matter what you do, you do not deserve to be murdered. And no one seems to get absolutely. that. No one gets it. You're absolutely right. Great sexual preference had nothing to do with this. What he did behind closed doors had nothing to do with this. The bottom line is I had a friend whose life was taken and it was senseless and mm-hmm. uncalled for. There was no Absolutely. reason to take his life. 